You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. All right, you can take your Bibles and you can turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and You should have uh, been given some sermon notes in that bulletin if you're here in person, and also those notes will appear on the bottom of the screen uh, if you are watching online. Romans chapter 8, and we're continuing in this wonderful series here about coming alive. What does it mean to fully come alive in Jesus Christ? And, um, and, and so Romans 8 is just such a great place for us to spend some time together. You know, when it comes to flying, I don't know how many of you like flying on an airplane, a lot of you do, wonderful. And as you fly on that airplane, uh, I'm sure you all have different kind of stories that you might be able to tell and, and, and uh, from various flights that you've had. But one of the things I absolutely love, my, both Charlotte and I love about uh, airplanes and that are the takeoff and the landings. And when it comes to the takeoff, especially just that rush you get as you are going down the runway and finally you have liftoff. And there's sometimes where I'm wondering, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? And then that plane lifts off. And I'm always so amazed at the power to lift that huge hunk of metal up into the air with the luggage, with the passengers, with people's pets with them, with up to 2,500 gallons of extra jet fuel in the wings on a 737, and how an airplane can defy gravity as it lifts into air because the law of gravity, now when that plane takes off into the air, the law of gravity does not cease to exist. Instead, there is a greater law that, has take, that takes over. Now, I'm no you know, scientist in this way. I'm no biologist. No, I know this isn't biology. I know this is chemistry. No, it's not chemistry. It's physics. I know that. And, and there is a greater law that takes over. The law of aerodynamics allows that plane, as well as some other laws, but allows that plane to supersede the law of gravity. Now, the gra- law of gravity does not cease to exist anymore, but... And, and you'll find that out. Just try to step off that airplane midway through the flight. And you will see that the law of gravity is still very much at work. But you know, for the believer in Jesus Christ, for the person who has confessed their sin in Jesus Christ and has surrendered their lives to him, trusting in his sacrifice on the cross, having their full penalty that is coming our way that we so deserve because of our sins, and, and having that penalty paid for in and through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. For the believer in Jesus Christ, the person who has trusted Jesus Christ for the salvation in their lives, for the forgiveness of their sins, there is a greater law and power that takes over our life at the moment of salvation. And it is called, as we see in Romans chapter 8, the law of the Spirit. And we saw this last week. Even look in your Bibles. Look at it now. I hope you have your Bibles open. You need to see this. Romans 8, 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so this law of sin and death that has been upon us, we've been set free from that, from the law of the Spirit. Now, the law of sin and death will always have a downward pull upon us. It will have a negative influence on us until the day we die. We will have that negative influence. We will have that power of sin and death upon us until we reach the glory of heaven. 
And that downward pull, that struggle, it can be so real and so difficult, so discouraging at times, isn't it? Where you want to do good, you want to do the right thing, you want to live for God, and yet it's so hard. We feel the pull and the tug of our flesh, of the world around us, and we so desire to want to follow God's ways, to live that holy life, and yet it is so hard. Can you agree? Do you agree that sometimes it's so hard to live a holy life? Would you agree with me? That usually means like, if yes, put your, put your head like this. Wonderful. I think there's some of you at least that agree. The rest of you, maybe we need to take lessons from you on holiness and how to maneuver through this. D.L. Moody, a great man of God, years ago, he said, I've never met a man who has given me as much trouble as myself. You know, and that's so true. There's no greater struggle and there's no person we're going to battle with in, in so many ways more than ourselves. And sadly, many of God's children... Many of you sitting even here today, watching online, we're living in, in a defeated, guilty, powerless Christian life where the struggle and the battle, you just kind of feel you're never good enough. You're just lacking the power and the victory. Now, other Christians, other people seem to have it. That person at the next table or that person at work who just seems to kind of have it together, they seem like they're on track, but I'm not so sure about myself. And we wonder, where am I at? Am I even truly saved? And sometimes it means that 24-7, you are a 724 person. You say, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, that for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the 24-7, that you are a Roman 724 person that culminates there in 724 that says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body and this struggle with sin? as we talked about last week. And please hear this, the very fact, the very fact if you feel this way in your heart of hearts as you struggle and as you battle and times you just wonder, did God even save me? Please listen, the very fact that you are struggling in this is a good evidence that the Holy Spirit of God is at work in your life. And that's good news. And I encourage you to write this down if you're online or you see it in your notes there in your service bulletins. A life of true victory is initiated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not my strength and my power. That's not where the, the, the life of true victory begins. And the empowerment to be able to live a life of victory comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, just a little bit of a review as we uh, look at the book of Romans. In, in Romans chapter 1 to 3, it informs us that the entire human race is left guilty before God. This world, as beautiful and as amazing as it is, is under judgment from God. Divine judgment is coming. And that is what is called here, in, as we've been reading, about the law of sin and death. It's all at work here in this world. And this is the default. This is what we are all born into. We are all born into the old Adam and Eve fallen sinful nature under the curse of sin. Our default setting Manufacturer specifications when we are born, it's called original sin. It's a hostility and rebellion naturally towards God, naturally towards authority that we have this. What is the first word that most kids oftentimes learn? After dad, of course, it's no, right? It's just there's this rebellion, no, and, and they even learn it with the shaking of the head. And you see, this is why and how we are so oftentimes easily and naturally attracted towards sin and selfishness and rebellion and ungodly appetites. It is our natural bent, our default position. 
our flesh naturally is not born to love God. We're not made that way to just naturally all of a sudden have this great love in our heart and a great love for people and just this great desire to always live for God. No, it's dominated by sin and rebellion because of that old flesh, because of that law of sin and death that is at work in our flesh. And this is how all of us are born, born in the flesh with this natural inclination away from God. But Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 tells us that prior to God, without Christ, we were dead. Or if you aren't saved here today, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. You are one of the original, before the TV show even came out, you are the original walking dead. You're walking around this earth, but you are dead on the inside. You're physically alive, but spiritually dead. And this is where Romans 3, 3 to 7 then, as you continue working through the book of Romans, we see the work of Christ on the cross and what he did for us, how he makes us alive, how he provides us with the salvation, with the work that is needed, not on our behalf, what Christ has done for us so that we can avoid judgment and wrath. But it's not just about getting out of jail free card. There's more than that. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, a change happens you may not necessarily feel it. Some people are like, you know, kind of can be overcome with emotion or they feel something change. You may not. But a change happens in your heart. In an instant, God's word tells us that we are justified. We are declared righteous before God. And the law of the spirit now has taken on and has battled and has won against the, the law of sin and death, the law of the flesh. And the Holy Spirit of God comes into the life of the believer, takes up residence. Ephesians chapter 1.13 says that the Holy Spirit is our mark, is a seal, is a guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. God's Spirit indwells, takes residence in the life of the believer. That dead heart of stone, the walking dead now, becomes a heart of flesh and is alive. And the Holy Spirit of God takes residence. He moves into our lives. And all of a sudden, there is this great renovation project that takes place. That's called sanctification. And I love it when I see pictures or at times have seen some of those renovation projects take place. But maybe it's not even a big renovation project. Perhaps it's going into a closet. And it's just a mess. Like things have been chucked in there and thrown in there. And it's your kid's closet, so things might be growing in there. You're not exactly sure. And you take everything out of there. And you give it a good cleaning and a good scrubbing. And you get rid of what needs to get rid of. And, and throw away and, and then tell them, you do that again, you're in big trouble. And, and you, know, you quit putting your food in there. And it's gotten rotten, whatever it might be. And, and you take it all out. And then you put back in there what needs to happen. This is kind of the process of sanctification where Christ comes in and he desires to clean us up, to take out the junk, get rid of it in our lives, and then put back in there what belongs, what is healthy, what is natural, what is normal. And this is the renovation project that, that God desires to do in our lives. And the Holy Spirit brings the character of God into our lives, giving new desires, new wants, new passions, a new way, a right way, the proper way, God's way at looking at things, looking at people, looking at this world. And it brings a distaste, a growing distaste for sin and for our old ways. It's like we want to be done with it. There's, just, there's a conviction within us and this desire is just like, I want to be done with these things. Now, this is so much more than just kind of trying harder, just bearing down, I'm going to try harder today, I'll try harder again tomorrow, and I'm going to fail, and I'm going to screw it up, and I'm, but I'm going to try harder. 
It's not trying to please God out of sheer determination and discipline. That sort of thing oftentimes is fueled by emotion and it runs out after two days or two weeks or two months. Kind of like when summer camp is over and you're on a spiritual high, you're at a retreat, you're at a service or something where God just does this work and you're just like set to go like for two days, two weeks, two months. But eventually it's like I tap out, I give up, I can't do it. But this is neither a just let go and let God, just like Holy Spirit, just take over and just do everything in me and I'll just kind of walk through life and you'll give me the strength. And if I don't have the strength and power, it must be okay. There's that kind of greasy stuff that goes around today that some people believe and that's not true either. It's about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, daily walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in Romans chapter 8, if you were to summarize this chapter, you could say this is the Holy Spirit's chapter in the Bible. The amount of times that it is mentioned, that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in this chapter is incredible. I think 20 times. Do a study this week. How many times is the Holy Spirit referred to in this chapter? And it starts, this chapter, as we talked last week, it starts in chapter 1 with no condemnation. It ends in verse 39 with no separation from God. No condemnation from God, no separation from God and his love. And in between are the verses on how we're to live the Christian life. Live this life under no condemnation and one day will result in no separation. And in between, there's power and there's strength and there's victory and there's understanding for the trials and the difficulties and the struggles, but also the power to be able to live it. So we're not walking around like a bunch of losers just trying to make a go of it and, and, and just think that we can't do it. And so we just give up and get frustrated. There's power, there's victory. It's, ah, it's so good. And this is so beautiful, so amazing that God gives to people like you and me. At times, maybe feeling like screwed up messes. He gives to us his best. He gives to us his heartbeat. He gives to us his Holy Spirit. See, we're not helped with more withering scoldings and guilt trips. No, we are helped by the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. This is the power and the strength that is ours, that is available. When he invades the heart and the mind and the conscience he, he's the one who, as he does that, he makes God's grace real in our hearts. He gives us that new heart with those new desires and new passions. And oh, we're going to stumble, we're going to fail, we're going to say, oh, wretched man, we're going to be the 724 person. Oh, wretched man that I am. But we need to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, sadly, there's often a lot of misconceptions and mixed up unbiblical teaching some gray areas that people go off into and get into some real messes and, and, and concerns when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And perhaps you've heard or maybe you've personally experienced or seen some of the strange and bizarre things that have been attributed to the Holy Spirit. And you might think, because of based on what you've seen and heard or you've watched it on TV or on social media, the Holy Spirit is some sort of power force that, oh, yes, yeah, just all of a sudden makes a person just fall over or start to mumble or speak gibberish and knocks them down and leaves them on the floor, either stunned or laughing hysterically, and makes a person lose control of their body. We don't see that in the New Testament. We don't see that in the Word of God. This is not the Holy Spirit at work. That's insulting the Holy Spirit. He's a gentle spirit, a spirit of order, a spirit of strength and power. Yes, strength and power, but it's under control. Listen to this from J.I. Packer. 
great theologian, he said this, the Holy Spirit's main ministry is not to give thrills, but to create in us Christ-like character. To create a Christ-like character within us. And the Holy Spirit, he's not simply a force or a power. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity. He is God. He gets, he gets a personal pronoun. I know that's kind of, you know, kind of looked upon interestingly enough. He gets a personal pro- pronoun. It's, he's a he, he's not an it. He can be lied to, grieved, worshipped, prayed to. The Holy Spirit convicts us and makes us aware of sin. And he regenerates, he sanctifies, he empowers, he gives wisdom. He prays for us and he prays with us. The times when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for us. The Holy Spirit enables us to live and to fulfill the law of God. He enables and empowers and strengthens us to live a life that is pleasing to God. It's life in the Spirit. Now, don't you just wish, I certainly wish and sometimes dream about this. Sometimes, I mean, we can dream for, you know, some windfall of money or whatever it might be or something to all of a sudden change. But I think most of us probably at times have wished that we could just all of a sudden press a button, you know, that easy button or whatever it might be. And within pressing that button, as the old preacher would say, you press that button and boom, you are godly. You are now godly, as that old preach, preacher might say. And, and you never struggle. You never stumble anymore. Life just kind of continues to keep on going. And you're just walking in the power of the Spirit, fighting off the enemy, fighting off temptation, not falling into sin. <sighs> it's not going to happen. Sorry, that easy button doesn't exist. But a life of growing and trusting and walking in more and more victory That's initiated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And secondly, we end up seeing here that a life of victory, write this down online or look at it in your notes, a life of true victory, a true victory in Jesus Christ refrains from thinking and living according to the flesh. But this is where deliberate action needs to be taken in our lives. There's God's part in our sanctification. There's God's God's part in that. And there's also our part. And look at verse 5 here. I'm going to read our passage here today. For those living according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Remember, that's our natural default state. It's that person at work, that neighbor, that family member who doesn't know Christ, that drives you nuts. They have set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. I encourage you this week, and even you see it in your notes, you see it on the screen, you have this compare and contrast that you can do here in these verses that we just looked at today. And encourage you to do that. What does it look like to have life, to have a life and a mind living, focused on the flesh? And what is it like? What are the results of a mind and a life focused on the spirit? It's going to be different, very different. One leads to life. The life mindset focused on the flesh leads to death. Another one is hostile towards God and his ways. 
A life set and a mind set on the flesh does not submit to God, does not belong to God. But a life that is set on the spirit is where there's life and there's peace. It's where God dwells. It's dead to sin, but alive to Christ. You see, our minds, our minds give a great indication of our heart. You see, our minds matter. Do you know you have an extremely powerful mind? Extremely powerful mind. Every one of us, as you say, I don't, I don't, I don't. Uh, when, 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 when God was handing out brains, he gave it to my brother, to my sister, to my kids, to someone else, didn't give me brains. I don't have, I'm not talking about IQ here. You and I have been given powerful minds. You have a powerful mind. Remember a number of weeks ago, I was talking about the battle and the struggle, the season in my life years ago that took me into a very dark and a very difficult place. You know where that battle started and you know where that battle mainly remained? It was in the mind. It was a battle in the mind and it started over something so tiny. Some little fear over really turned out nothing at all. And it led to more fear. And it led to lies and deception and false thinking and then false living and bad living and, and, and difficulties. And, and soon, as my mind set off to the races, it was like a wildfire burning out of control. Have you ever been there? An area of fear, an area of struggle, an area where it just, like, it just starts so small and then it just kind of keeps going, area of bitterness, unforgiveness. And it all started right there for me. It started in the mind. I know exactly where it happened, where all of a sudden this lie came in. It wasn't true, but I didn't dismiss it. I let it take root, and it just, it just blew up. And part of the healing process landed me in the care of one of the oldest top internal specialists in Edmonton. And after doing a thorough check over and different things, he told me, he said that the vast majority of people that he sees, he says they're not even truly sick. Oftentimes, it's in the head because that's where it starts. And he told me, he looked at me and he says, young man, you need to get hold of your mind. He, and he says, you got to go to one of your religious ones or something. Like, I forget what he said. He wasn't a religious man. He says, but you need to go and get your mind straightened out. Best advice I was given because I needed to get my mind into the word of God. I needed to get my mind turned around in its thinking. And some of you, the, the, your mind is out of control right now with battles of fear, anxiety, anger, addiction. It's out of control. And then the guilt and the lies of condemnation that you are believing, it's out of control. And our minds are our greatest assets and blessing but they can also be our greatest pitfalls and downfall. And here's an important reality check for each one of this. My thoughts reveal my true allegiance. You see, our thoughts matter to God, not just our actions. You see, man, we judge the, the outward appearance. We judge the, the actions. God knows the heart. He knows the mind. And we must ask ourselves, do my thoughts throughout the day reflect my allegiance to Jesus Christ? Or is it my allegiance to myself, to the world, to my sinful desires? You see, sin always starts in the mind. We dwell on it in the mind before we act on it. That's where it starts. And so we must guard our thoughts. We must take every thought captive to God's will, make it obedient to his will and to his word. Through the day, do we give God praise or do we give ourselves praise? 
through the day? Do we give him thanksgiving and rejoicing? Do we have God thoughts on our minds through the day, what he's done? Or are we overrun with greed, materialism, pride, control, power, anger, lust, revenge, fear, negativity, a critical negative spirit? What's going through your mind in the day? Take stock throughout the day. All of a sudden say, hey, what am I thinking about? Maybe your mind doesn't even really go to the place of God very much throughout the week. Ah, maybe in church. Maybe it's small group. You've learned the right things to say, but throughout the week, God is not even really on the radar. When you sin, you hurt others, you sin before God or you hurt others, there's really no conviction. There's no confession or repentance, just excuses or justification. If this is a pattern of your thinking, if this is a pattern of your mind, I want to say this carefully, I want to say it lovingly, but you still may be dead in your sins and never have become a true follower of Jesus Christ. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes in, when he comes into our lives, he brings the character of God. And, and in seed form, oftentimes, it's with new desires and a new sensitivity towards God that we start to... To, to hate the things that God hates. We love what God loves. And there's a conviction, there's a sadness when we sin. There's a desire to want to worship Jesus, to, to, to give him praise, not just in a church service or it's throughout the day as his followers. There's a desire to want to read and obey the word of God, to serve and to care and to love and to forgive others. And again, sometimes you say it's there, but it's in seed form. Well, let's continue to keep growing that then. And maybe you're thinking, Melden, I see a bit of both in me. I'm fighting the flesh, but I also, at times, I, I feel the spirit and, and, and I want to please the spirit, but there's such love. But then there's such hostility in my mind. There's patience, but then there's frustration. There's such purity, and then there's filth. There's peace at times, and then there's such panic. Does that mean I'm not saved? Well, perhaps if the thought and patterns and desires haven't truly changed, if, if, if the things of God aren't anywhere really on the radar, except like I said, in church or when it, it kind of needs to be. But this is that struggle, that back and forthness. I don't even know if that's a word, but the back and forthness of that struggle that reveals that we're living in a battlefield. The war is on. The enemy wants to see us living in condemnation, wants to see us living in fear, wants to see us living. He knows that the battle's already won, that, that, that there's no separation between us and God, but he doesn't want us living in victory. And so the spirit and flesh are in opposition to one another. And we're going to battle the flesh until the day we die. This is something, a battle that we're going to face daily, hourly, moment by moment. And we must choose to be fighting that old flesh. But the question, what are you feeding? What are you feeding on throughout the week? It's like inside of us, there's two dogs, all right? There's two dogs, and the one that you feed will get stronger, and the one that you starve will get weaker. What dog are you feeding, the, the, the spirit or the flesh? We're feeding one or the other through our mind, through our thinking, that then leads in our actions. God's word tells us in Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. We reap what we sow. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. We must take deliberate action. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, prepare your minds for action. And there's numerous other passages in the New Testament that tells us that we are certain things we're to take off, we're not to have a part of our lives, you're supposed to just continue to keep just, just pushing that out and, 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 and walking away from that. And there's other things we ought to be putting into our lives, into our minds, into our practice. Ephesians chapter 4, these references are on the screen, they're in your bulletin. I pray, I trust you'll read these this week. Ephesians chapter 4, it says to put off your old self, verse 22 which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. We're to put the things off from our old ways and to be renewed by the spirit of your, in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, but I say, walk by the spirit. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk. Well, how do you do that? Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. This battle going on. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. See the struggle there? It's real. Now, the flesh, the works of the flesh are evident. So he even tells us what these works are that are going to drive us into a terrible place. And he says the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, which is any form of sexual activity of one man, one woman, in a covenant marriage relationship. Anything else outside of that is sexual immorality according to God's word. Impurity, sensuality, which even, that, that even falls into the area of pornography. And quite even possibly a lot of the TV shows and the movies that we watch. We're to put these things that have this worldly filth upon them. Why? Because if we allow these things, it's dragging us down. Idolatry, it goes on. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He says, put these things off. Put these things out of your life. And instead, pursue the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And verse 25 says, keeping in step with the Spirit. We must understand that our sin, whether it's intentional sin or unintentional, sins of omission, sins of commission, impurity, and so on, it grieves and it quenches the Holy Spirit. When we feed the dog of the flesh in our lives, we're quenching the Spirit. We're starving the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit's power is weakened. And we become not only people who are struggling and battling, but the casualties in our life is that of God's peace and God's joy. There's no victory. There's no strength to live the Christian life. And so we live that Romans 7.24 life. It causes a distance from God. It means that at times we pray and it feels like our prayers are just hitting the ceiling. But if we are allowing, because if we're allowing the flesh, these areas of sin to have access to keep, keep uh, our minds fixed on, on the things of this world and the things we just described here, rather than resisting and fighting and confessing these things, we'll then cry out, oh wretched man, I'm struggling. And we can call out and we can pray that and say, oh God, fill me with your spirit. Help me. You can call out till you're blue in the face and it's a waste of time. If we're continuing to feed the flesh in our lives rather than trying to, to, to put it off and put on God's power and God's strength. We have to guard what we are putting into our eye gate and our ear gate. Quickly today, here's three ways we can live this out in our lives. Here's, here's the path to victory. The, it's so simple. First of all, we need to agree with God. 
starts with agreeing with God, determine that God's word, God's way is the right way. That our world and our culture and our flesh tells us that the Bible is old-fashioned. It's for an era 2,000 years ago. It's a good suggestion book and it's out of touch with reality today. And it's more what you think or what you feel is the right way. That's the way to go. No. The path to victory means we first of all start agreeing with God's word. God's word has authority in our lives. It starts with agreeing with God that his word is the ultimate authority. We may not always like it. We may not always agree with it. It goes against our flesh. It goes against what the world, what the media is telling us. But God's way is right and best. Second of all, take account. We need to take account of our attitudes and our thoughts. What kind of rabbit trails do you find your, your mind in throughout the day? As you're going throughout the day, you need to be considering 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, taking every thought captive. Is this from God? Is this pleasing to God? Is this right? Or is it from Satan? Is it from the world? Is it from my flesh? We need to fight that. We need to take account throughout the day and, and get rid of and put off the junk and the garbage, and we need to put on the good. And then thirdly, realign or align our minds and our thinking either for the first time or once again daily. Philippians chapter 4, 8, that we're fixing our mind on the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy, or praiseworthy. These are the things we are to be thinking about. Most of you all have a smartphone. You know what you have? You have a timer on there. Maybe every 15 minutes you need to have a timer that continually goes off throughout the day. And it's a, a way to all of a sudden stop in the middle of the day and say, where's my mind today? What kind of rabbit trail? Is it pleasing to God? Am I feeding the flesh? Who am I feeding? Who am I praising? Where are my eyes? Are it in the things of God or in the things of this world? Practical, easy. And it may be very revealing as to where our minds are. Because here's the glorious promise, folks. For the mind that is thinking, that is set, desiring to live according to the Spirit, number three, a life of true victory results in powerful living. Verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells in you. Is there an amen? Is there an amen? That is amazing. Who indwells in you? Who indwells in you? The same spirit, it says, the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead indwells and is available to you today to empower, to strengthen, to give hope and joy in his peace. That's some power source. Listen, loved ones, listen today. Maybe you're saying, oh, but pastor, I, you have no idea what's going on in my life. You have no idea of the struggle. Let me ask you this, and I say this in love, but I say it in, in, in such seriousness. Is what you are facing, is it bigger than a dead Jesus? Is what you are facing is bigger than a dead Jesus? But you don't know my past. You don't know the background. You don't know the struggle, the battle, the fear, the injustice that's happened to me. You don't know the hurt, the bitterness, the lack of victory over and over again. My struggle with porn, drugs, alcohol, spending, food, addiction, whatever it might be. I've struggled so long. But folks, the greatest injustice of all time happened to Jesus that left him dead in a grave. And that same power that overcame 
a dead Jesus, a dead corpse that all of a sudden gave him life resides in you if you are in Christ. Walk in it. Live it. Get rid of the junk and the garbage of the flesh and of this world daily, hourly. Let's do that and pursue life in the power of the Holy Spirit in praise, in victory, in celebration, in worship. He will give life. God's word says here, to our mortal, struggling, weak bodies, not just for salvation, not just for heaven, but in between through the continued sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That's who you are if you are in Christ. It's not you, but it is Christ who lives and works in you. Let's bow together. God, we recognize the struggle, the battle is real, and today you know the heart of each person, whether they have surrendered their lives to you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray if anyone is here today listening, watching here at the patio in a car, God, that, that there would be deep surrender that would happen today, that you would become the Lord and Savior if that has not yet happened. And for the believers here in Christ today, I pray we've learned what it means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, no longer walk and be sick of the flesh, that we get together with our groups, we get together with accountability, say, I'm sick of sin, I'm done with it, I want it over. And as we plead that to you, as we have brothers and sisters who love us and care for us and can walk with us, God, set us free to live in your Spirit's power. The gentle, beautiful, lovely, holy Spirit of God, third person of the Trinity, indwelling each one of us. Would we feed the Spirit this week through your word? Would we find ourselves reading, writing out, memorizing, knowing your word, having a love for your word and a distaste for all the crap that is out there in social media and the media, the stuff that we're so filling our minds with. Oh God, would we fill it with the good things of the Spirit? God, would you do that work? Would it not be us? It was Christ working in us. He's the one who binds us. He's the one who's called us. He's the one who keeps us. And so we worship you. And even now as the band sings these words, I pray, let God have his way in your life today. Declare it within your heart. It's not I, but it's going to be Christ living in me this week through the power of his Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.